G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today we're back for part two with Lacey Philippic and her book, Money School. So really excited to have Lacey back. And today we're going to be going through a whole variety of things, including asset selection and cash flow versus growth assets, what it's worth paying for when it comes to advice, and how to get to financial independence sooner and does it solve all your problems let's get stuck into it let's go inside welcome to perth property insider where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using perth property our show is brought to you by investors edge real estate the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of perth now here is your host jared Mann. so we've got these kind of two purposes of an asset i guess we've got growth and we've got income Tell us about how that plays in the selection of the type of property that you might want to buy. And and I know that there's those two definite schools of thought out there that I guess one leans more towards the cash flow type properties and one leans more towards being more negatively geared and buying growth. Mm. I can see that the cash flow properties will, might get you to replacing income sooner but the negative geared properties can help you grow your asset base and potentially end up with a higher income later. So how do you <laughs> see, I know asset selection is such a personal thing, oh, it is, isn't it? how yeah. do you see property, I guess, fitting into this mix of. Mm. It's, of, it's such, oh, sorry, yeah, I'm going to be there. <laughs> it's a deep question. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, and it's, it's such a fundamental question, Jared, right? It, it, and your point is really for anyone who's considering property investment, this has got to be the biggest decision you biggest, make. Yeah. I think about it as what are you planning to do with that property? So let's say you have gone on either direction, you know, you've gone for the income or you've gone for the growth. In 30 years' time, are you planning to sell that property to get the cash to then put somewhere else? You know, like in the late 80s, people would have sold those properties to put cash in the bank and earn 15% interest. You can't do that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not earning 15% interest you're not going to get that equity that's going to pay you probably for a very long time. And frankly, if we get to 15% interest again, we've got big problems. <laughs> um, so that used to be maybe the theory was you'd buy these properties, you'd sell them, the money would go into the bank as cash. So you take out your risk and you get this nice, like a, the equivalent of a pension. So that used to be what people do. They don't necessarily do it anymore. People will either hold those properties and then live off the rent or they will sell them to lock in those capital gains, or they'll borrow against them because, let's face it, you can take out a bit of equity and live on that and pay a few percent interest. It's better than paying tax, isn't it? (laughs) Mm. So there's a few ways you can do it, right? I think it's where you're going to go with the property in the end. And I probably what you want out of them in the meantime too. Well, yeah, in the the interim. If you hate your job and you want to try to replace your income much sooner and have those choices then and you're willing to keep your expenses lower, yeah. then the positive cash flow route maybe perhaps might suit that person more. And mm. don't get me wrong, I think anyone that says any one strategy suits everyone, you have to smell a bit of BS around that. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I'm just calling think, it out. Oh, totally. There's so many different ways to go property. And this is where property is so different from shares. You know, shares, there's a share market. There's a price. Like you can see it. You don't have to negotiate. It's very different with property. I think you're right in that the case is as you move through time, if you want that income, it's important. But for me, almost all property eventually ends up positively geared yeah. if it has a little, you know, well, that's like the end outcome anyway. Yeah. 
We all exactly. want exactly. So. And the sooner you get there, the sooner you can be fired from it. You can you can yeah. get that financial independence. But whether that's in five years or fifteen years, your goal is going to be to have a positive cash flow property if you're planning to hold. Right. Mm-hmm. If that's your game, you're buying a property. It's got a building on it, whether you build it or not whether it's there when you buy it or not, and your game is, oh, I'm going to rent that out and then I'm going to hold the property, it's always going to end up positively geared eventually when you've paid down some of your debt. It's about how long it takes you to get there. So I think I don't think you necessarily have to say, well, I'm only buying cash flow positive properties or I'm only buying capital growth properties. You're going to get both from an average property eventually. It's about the timeline to get there. I think there are things that catch up more quickly. And when we talk about this, it's usually the difference between buying an apartment or buying something with some land, right? That's usually the debate. You can buy an apartment cheaper. You're probably going to get to positively geared quicker, but are you going to get any growth because you have this tiny parcel of land that's shared with all the other apartment holders? Maybe not. I mean, there is growth, but probably nowhere near as much as you get with the land. And so I think that's probably the more important question for people is if I'm trying to see growth, would I buy something that I know as a class has less growth? That's a sort of fundamental question. Yeah. And I certainly bought apartments early and then went into things with land later as I had more equity because I could afford to. I could afford to take on more debt and I could pay those debts off. But bluntly, I expect my properties to deliver both. I expect them to deliver a cash flow and I expect them to grow in value. You know, I, I yeah. don't think I'm necessarily by going for something that's Not all be or nothing on one. <laughs> Exactly. You know, end of the spectrum. And exactly. people often you know, don't, don't think about, yeah, you know, is there a middle ground? <laughs> exactly. And I guess that's where I get annoyed about negative gearing as this reason to buy. If, if negative gearing is the yeah. number one reason you buy, don't buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We definitely so both agree on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it should just it clouds, be a bonus. It yeah. clouds the whole choice, doesn't it, for a lot of people. It does, and, and, the, and it masks it. things. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, and if the government makes... does decide to take it away, you know, look at how is your situation going to be. Exactly. So, can you handle that? Yeah, totally. And so, I think when people say, "Well, I'm buying it for negative gearing," I say, "Well, no. If you have debt and you pay it down over time, and the value goes up and the rents go up, you're going to be positively geared." And I guess doing the maths for me, the negative gearing benefit was under two percent of the total cost of owning the property. <laughs> so yeah. the other ninety-eight percent came from the tenants paying rent and from me topping up. So I sort of go, well, what was the point? Like that, You don't buy it for negative gearing. Now, I realise there's people in very high income brackets who want to buy new properties so they can have the paper deduction of depreciation and that that makes a significant difference. So maybe it's more than 2% for them. Maybe it's 5% but it's not going to be the majority of the cost of owning yeah. that property over a long period no, of time. It's not going to be your main reason when you look back and yeah. it's like, yes, that, that that investment did well. I got lots of negative gearing. Exactly. <laughs> but I think that- I lost I think, money still. <laughs> exactly. And you took money out of your pocket. Now, that for people, that won't be a problem. They might be like, well, I've got extra money. That's great. But if you're on a tight budget or you're worried, or you might want to go for a property that you're going to live in later- and this constrains you, you've got to be pretty conscious of that. I think what doesn't get talked about a lot is, and where I think the rent vesting thing is interesting, is that six years capital gains exemption on a property that you lived in. You know, you live in a property, when you move out, if you sell it in that six years, you escape paying any capital gains on it, which I think that is quite a wonderful perk. But again, the government can take that away. You know, Mm. they can change that at any time and maybe they will. So again, it's not a reason to buy. It's something to use to your advantage, I think, if it's there when you want to buy or sell something. (laughs) And I love in your book that you go through a number of asset classes and how to, I guess, build a portfolio that's going to 
contribute overall to the financial independence that you gain. Mm -hmm. So read uh, read your book, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jared. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, it, yeah. I think people are often single focused and single minded, and it's only as I've started looking at, I guess, risk and and how to really go about what are the some of the the other stronger income producing assets you know how do I yeah. actually go about putting this together and it is such a personal choice but is there anything you can add to, to that yeah look I think there's lots of choices like you say and it is a personal thing and there's an argument for mastering one strategy in one asset class and doing it again and again and again which yeah. is certainly what I did to start with with you know getting three properties I'd agree with that too because sometimes yeah. I see people chopping and changing they never really get that great at any one thing and then they say that nothing works because they haven't gone deep enough. <laughs> You're exactly right there. It's that whole you have to have been in it for long enough and applied the skills for long enough. When I think about the mistakes that I've made with my properties, I keep making them, you know, like my fifth property purchase was my worst one. <laughs> you do need a, to give yourself time and space for achieving mastery on this and to allow for mistakes. But that said, as you get a little bit older, you know, it's this typical thing. When you're young, you've got lots of cash flow and not a lot of assets typically. So you can get debt, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you don't have the assets to back it up. And then as you get older, you have lots of assets, but your cash flow, you, you know, like I wouldn't qualify for a loan right now. You know, like it's one of those things probably because I don't pay myself much <laughs> mm -hmm. and because of the way they treat different types of income. So you get this sort of over time, the things you can invest in. So I think what happens to a lot of people that get into property when they're young is they hit this cap on their borrowing and yeah. then that's the time you might say well hey I need to look at things that don't require debt and I think acknowledging that we can't predict the future is important we feel like because house prices have gone up and like someone like me I've been in for 20 years those first 10 years were glorious you know like mm. I just I was very lucky with I my think timing. we must have started at a similar time because yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is amazing, you know, like I didn't even know what we were in. It was like <laughs> you just think that it's going to keep going forever and that this is normal yeah. and this happens, you know. Yeah, but it's not, right? We've both no. seen cycles, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then the people that got in, so 10 years ago would be like, oh, yeah, my property is finally back to the value I paid for it. You know, yeah. it's a very different experience. Acknowledging that we can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, who would have predicted that what happened last year was going to happen. I mean, I know people no. did, but like I, I, not the average person wouldn't have thought that would happen. Acknowledging that we can't predict the future, you, this is where diversity is important, that if you invest yourself entirely in one thing and that tanks, what have you lost? And I share one story in the book about a young couple who bought properties in the Pilbara, you know, made millions, $500,000 cash flow a year and then bankruptcy. So that I think you have to acknowledge can happen and plan accordingly, particularly if you're like me. I like to sleep well at night. I don't want to worry about stuff. Yeah. Some people are happier taking more risk and power to them and maybe it pays off. But I think that's why you need to think about multiple asset classes. I guess a big reason why I started this podcast was to help people get that foundation of education themselves so that they can use professionals then and not be taken advantage of. But mm. what would you say to those that are like, well, why can't I just pay someone to do it for me? <laughs> you, know, you probably get asked that a lot as well. I totally do. And people try to, I, last week someone said, can I give you two grand that you'll invest for me? I said, no, but I will. you've got a share course here. You can go and learn how to buy shares yourself. It's important, I think, 
to be educated. And the point you've made about why you've created this podcast, Jared, is, is essential there. Being an educated consumer who can ask important questions. You're me- less likely to be taken advantage of. And we just know that it happens. It's a systemic mm. problem in the personal finance industry that people have a vested interest. It's all about commissions. And we saw the Banking Royal Commission, which is the high-level stuff, but it just happens everywhere. Most people I know in the industry are good people and they'll do the right thing. But you don't know that when you go and see them the first time and you have to have a good, you know, radar for if they're trying to sell you a line of BS. And if you don't pick that up and they ruin your financial future, yes, you might be able to sue them. Yes, you might get some money back. But, hey, you might be broke in the meantime and you might not have a roof over your head in the meantime and is it worth it? And you might never get any money back. So I think it's really important because it's your life. No one's ever going to care about it more than you. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter how much you pay them. They just can't care about it more than you because it's your life. Even if you do pay someone else, and there are certainly people where it warrants, you know, paying someone to make those decisions for them. I've certainly seen great results for people with buyer's agents, with financial advisors that have saved the money, made them more income than they would, and they didn't have to spend the time on it. But they were lucky in one sense that they picked the right person, but also that they knew which questions to ask so that they wouldn't get caught out. And I think that's no matter whether you pay someone or not, you have to know the questions to ask. You can't abdicate responsibility on this. And you mentioned cycles and having been through a few of them now. And I'm certainly, I love when things come back around again and you notice what you've seen in the past. And it's like, oh, that's when, (laughs) you know, I should have been more aware of this last time. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. How important (laughs) is it to is timing of the cycles like oh, this is so this is a this is a debate that happens in the financially independent retire early community okay. all the time so there's two ways to think about this timing the market as in i'm going to get in when things are low and things are going to go up or time in the market which is the power of compounding is more important overall i tend to lean towards the latter that if we are planning on holding an asset, and property is one of those assets that you're going to hold in most cases for at least a decade in order to see the growth, to pay down the debt, to, you know, all that sort of stuff, just purely on transaction costs. Like, I don't want to pay stamp duty mm. <laughs> every five years, you know, there's, it's such a big one. So, when you've got that kind of decades timeline, it's less important, isn't it, you know, to have picked the bottom or the top. And the reality is you will never pick the actual bottom yeah. or the actual top. Like you just, you can't do it. <laughs> and if you do do it, then you should be doing it as a professional, right? Well, the only way to truly know when it's yeah. turned is to see it, that it's come back up or it's, or exactly. it's going down. So exactly, that's yeah. why, and even when I've got my finger on the pulse and I come to people every second month, like I'm still only calling it as it's happened. Yeah. And if we could all go back two years, we'd probably go and buy a few more properties than we might otherwise might have. You know? And you're exactly right. But at that point, right, who would have signed up for debt, worried about yeah. their financial future because you could see a downturn coming even before we had the pandemic. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you can't beat yourself up for that. And like I look at an economic figures now and I'm baffled. I'm like, how is inflation so low? You know, like it just it doesn't yeah. in reality feel that low to me from what I've seen with prices. We can't predict the future. So I think you have to acknowledge that you're not going to pick that. I think with property, the difference is trying to buy in a really hot market, like trying to buy when people are at auction bidding 10% over reserve and People and like you know, I saw an article about a couple in Sydney spending three point four two five million on a an apartment that was four hundred thousand dollars over reserve. 
You want to avoid those really hot moments where emotions come in or competitive natures come in. You want to avoid those because your chances of getting, of overpaying are quite strong and it only takes a small correction for the bank then to be like, hey, you're suddenly in negative equity territory. So I think there's that sort of very small subset of property investing that I would say there is a problem with timing when the market is too hot if you're buying. If you're selling, wonderful. (laughs) But I think if you're planning to hold, then it's one of those things. But most of the time with property, there's a good deal to be found even when it is definitely on the seller's side. So even when there are people and, and you know, currently in Perth and actually most of Australia is experiencing this uptick, you know, and you would have seen those headlines, we expect a 19% growth in house prices and everyone probably had a heart attack if they were trying to save for a deposit and thinking, I've got to save 19% more. Oh, no. You can still always find a good deal. There's still always someone who has to sell. They have to sell quickly. And if you've got a good situation, you can get them that money quickly. There's always a house that needs work. There's always opportunities to be had. There's just those really hot moments that I'd avoid. So I, I don't think there's too many times when I would say, well, don't buy now if your time frame is 10 or plus years. Yeah. If you're trying to flip, totally different circumstance. But if you're planning to hold, look, get in when it's working for you, not necessarily just because you think the market's going a certain direction. I think as I've gotten older as well, I'm thinking a lot more longer term with everything. And I just wish I could have thought this way when I was younger. It's like, well, I'm not going <laughs> to buy something if it's not fitting that longer term picture. And I used to do a lot of things over the short term and that has its place too. If you, if you want to chunk up money and you're only, you've got a joint venture partner or someone, you might not want to be holding a property with this person for long term. But I <laughs> yeah. guess, how does someone think, start to think that way when they are younger? <laughs> or- ah. It's purely education, isn't it? Because if you haven't had the experience yourself, what you and I are talking about is we've seen this, we've come to this conclusion. And I'm a very different person from when I first bought my property when I was 19. I just bought that because I was like, oh, I can afford it and it's a place to live and it's the same amount of money as rent. This makes sense. That's what drove my choice then too. It's like this is what I can afford. I'll get the very best. I'll add value to it. Yeah. And it served and got me ahead, you know. Exactly. And you don't and need it's acknowledging to necessarily that. complicate that either. Like Yeah. And it's and if it's a sensible place for you to start and you can afford it, I think the difference is the risks with debt these days is people not having a security income. I think that's the only thing that's really changed significantly yeah. is there's more people in freelancing, more people with less secure income. So I think that maybe has changed whether you might make the same decision. I think I'd still do the same thing if I was 19 now, but I know I'd be able to earn money as an engineer. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's about your personal situation. Person, yeah. yeah, but I think if you're young, acknowledging that that's why you're making that decision, but then making the effort to learn through other people's experiences. <laughs> yeah. If I'm one of those people who does learn by making mistakes, so acknowledging that you are going to make some of those mistakes, that, but I don't think you can beat yourself up for missing those opportunities because yeah. we all have the same senses of that. You know, you regret buying or selling something or you go, oh, I should have held on for longer. And I think watching cryptocurrency investors is a great lesson in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I prefer to I, stay on the sidelines personally. And, oh, exactly. You know, if it's yeah, not no, going to survive an income, it's certainly not going to help yeah. you get to FI. Um, oh, yeah. It's only speculating, so, but it's funny to watch them, but, you know, the yeah. way the price swings ha- happen and the regrets they have. Maybe put some like, play money in there if you want yeah. to have some fun, but, you know. Exactly. No, I'm with you. I wouldn't call it an investment or an asset by any stretch of the imagination at the moment. It's more that whole watching people who, I mean, how many people have you talked to? I see this all the time. I wish I'd bought Bitcoin back in 2009. Like, mate, you would have been 
considered a complete maniac if you've done that. You <laughs> yeah. know, like acknowledging that the decisions that you make at those points in time are for a good reason. The point is, did you make them consciously? If you made them consciously and with all the information you had, then don't beat yourself up on the decision you made. If you just went with the flow and you just took a punt, then okay, maybe you can say, oh, silly me. But you and I both thought pretty hard about those first properties. And yes, we had a pretty finite point of view of the world at that point but you can't beat yourself up for not having a long-term plan because it's unreasonable to expect you to have had one of those in your late teens or early 20s that's not (laughs) fair on you you know I think the best thing if you want to develop that mindset is just to be very conscious of what you're doing and to talk to people read books listen to your podcast you know like all that sort of thing do as much as you can to absorb the information and decide if it works for you and how you need to apply it and don't be afraid to ask questions for sure When it comes to your book, you've got some really great chapters on how to deal with life setbacks and the spanners that get thrown in (laughs) into things. So I don't want to give too much away, but they're really great, I think, for people because life doesn't just go smoothly, does it? <laughs> no, no. Like I said, my biggest biggest mistake in property purchases was my fifth property. I should have known better. Yeah, you do have problems and not just with money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what I really want to know as well, because you've kind of been on the other side of, you know, financial independence and had that time rich, does it solve all of your problems? Because no. I've certainly <laughs> discovered otherwise. No, it certainly doesn't. Yeah. You kind of put this rainbow and it's like I'm getting towards the pot of gold. You get there and you get your hands on the gold and you're like, oh, now what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And suddenly I still have the same problems. No, there's a lot of things that won't fix. What it can give you is the time to fix the things that are the problems. That's the difference. I think the point about having the money, it's, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, money won't solve all your problems. No, but it will give you more space and more time to work on those problems. Mm. So that's that's where I think the point is. What it then does is really shine light on those problems because suddenly you've taken away this urgency that about work. Yeah. Exactly. And so it can actually be worse because <laughs> suddenly yeah. where work kept you distracted for 40 or 50 hours a week, suddenly you're looking in the mirror going, I shouldn't have eaten mm. all that cake for the last 10 years or you're cursing yourself for not having developed a hobby or your relationship is just much worse than you realised. You know, there's, mm. there's things like that or you go, oh, gee, I don't have any friends because I was too busy working. Things like that happen to everybody and it won't fix anything that's about your personality that you're not happy with or anything that's about your habits that you're not happy with. What it gives you is time and space to work on those things and a little bit of extra resources because sometimes it is about paying a psychologist, paying for your hobby stuff, you know, like that's the point of that money is it allows you to fix those problems. But no, I, you know, I still argue with my husband. We still, (laughs) you know, debate about things that are really irrelevant. We still, I still feel like I hadn't spent enough time with my friends, but what being I was as it meant I could oh well I'm going to go and make an effort I'm going to get on the phone yeah Yeah, and I think that's that's the decision that comes it's not like the money does it for you it's what you do with it money's just a tool but just like people say oh guns don't kill people look money won't fix your problems you have to use the money to fix your problems okay you got to decide how you're going to best deploy it but don't think you're just going to suddenly reach this dollar figure and then you're going to be like rainbows and sunshine and hallelujah (laughs) and and, oh life's perfect now no you then that, that gives you the space to work on the stuff yeah. and some resources and to work to on the stuff. Real. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's good. It might take you years, but it's it's also just changes your focus in life and suddenly because we do put so much emphasis on work, if you decide to take a break from that, it can leave this massive vacuum. So acknowledging that's really important. And it's probably better to start thinking about how we're going to deal with that uh, sooner, I think, because my parents have retired and 
they don't have any hobbies and exactly <laughs> as you described, they're going through, you know, what are we going to do with our world now that all the kids have moved out and, you know, yeah. things change. Well, and it causes grief. People end up in depression. People end up with relationships breaking out. It's a serious problem mm. and you're right. I think that this is where I kind of like the mini retirements. I've had some short experiences of having that kind of time off, you know, three to yeah. six months at a time. I kind of know what I like to do yeah. and I, I'm comfortable enough with the these are the hobbies I would do. So I think... The irony is, of course, I still work, right? I run my businesses. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for using, you know, some (laughs) of that time to create, you know, something like Money School because there there was such a big gap out there and I'm sure it's going to help a lot of our listeners and I absolutely love the book and I see you've got some programs online too, so that would be really good for people to get into. Yeah, and I do think with the book, the point of it is to be grab what you need out of it. You don't have to read it cover to cover. And if you read it and go, oh, that bit doesn't apply to me, just the point is that it's in your mind and later you can come back to it when it is right for you. But, yeah, it is a luxury to have the time to invest. Like it was an 18-month journey to write that book mm. and so I wouldn't have been able to do it if I was working full-time. So that's the point of fire, right? I get to write the book. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's, uh, I, I hope more people get that basic financial understanding behind them so they feel good about their choices and don't beat themselves up when they get it wrong because they've done everything they can. Awesome. Great note to end things on. We might have to get you back some other time, but thank you so much. Oh, oh, thanks for having me, Jared. It was heaps of fun. Lovely. See ya. Bye. Bye. 